a medical student enters into his favorite bar and is never seen again. What happened to this young man who seemed to have it all? Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the KMH Podcast, your favorite podcast. I know it's true in your heart. This is Brad, as always. Today we're going to be discussing a rather famous missing person case, Brian Schaefer. He was a second-year medical student at Ohio State in 2006. As he was preparing to leave for spring break, he took a night out with his friends and was never seen again. So let's dig into this one, see what kind of facts and interesting little hypotheses we can come up with, and see why there's so much hubbaloo around Mr. Schaefer's disappearance. Brian was preparing for spring break in March of 2006. In addition to the stress of just going through medical school, his mother, Renee, had recently passed away, which hit Brian very, very hard. Brian was going to spend most of spring break with his girlfriend Alexis in Miami, and many of his family and friends expected him to propose. Classes ended on March 31st. That night, Brian met his dad, Randy, for a steak dinner to kick off his week of relaxation. After dinner, Brian went out with his buddy Clint, Florence. They began their night at the Ugly Tuna Saluna, a fantastically named bar sitting on the second story of a building around 9 o'clock that night. An hour later, he called Alexis, who had returned home to Toledo, to visit with family prior to their planned Miami getaway. Brian and Clint spent the night bar hopping, enjoying a shot or two at each establishment. Then sometime around midnight, they ran into Meredith Reed, who was a friend of Clint's. Meredith gave the two a ride back to the Ugly Tuna Saluna to enjoy one last round, and thus completing their circuit of inebriation. During the threesome's time at the Ugly Tuna Saluna, Brian spent some time talking to the band after they had finished their set. Shortly thereafter, Brian became separated from Clint and Meredith. After a spell, Clint began calling Brian on his cell phone, trying to find him in the bar, or Saluna, but Brian never answered. When the Saluna closed at 2 a.m., Clint and Meredith waited outside for Brian, but he never came out. They decided that Brian must have skipped out early and gone home to get some sleep. Brian's apartment was only about 10 minutes away by car. Alexis and Randy tried calling Brian throughout the weekend but they never received an answer or a return phone call. On Monday morning, he missed the flight he and Alexis were scheduled to take to Miami. This is more unusual than you would think because the trip to Miami was the last gift that his mother gave to him before she died, and he treated it as a very special thing. So at this point, Alexis and Randy both knew something was up, and they called the Columbus police to report him as missing. And as I mentioned at the top, this quickly became one of the most famous missing person cases in recent history. 
Okay, the investigation. Let's begin with a disclaimer. I am going to say Ugly Tuna Saluna every daggum chance I get. So buckle in for that wild ride. Now, Columbus has the most security cameras of any town in Ohio. And when I say the most, they have more than Toledo, Cleveland, and Cincinnati combined. So police decided that was a good natural starting spot in this investigation. They reviewed all the videos surrounding the Ugly Tuna Saluna. They went so far as to account for every single person that went into the Ugly Tuna Saluna to see if anyone failed to exit. They managed to count for every person that went in that night, except for Brian. Brian is last seen on the cameras talking to two women outside the Ugly Tuna Saluna around 1.55 a.m., shortly before the bar closed, before walking back inside. So in reality, police only had to deal with a small window of time to hunt for Brian in the comings and goings. Now, the Ugly Tuna Saluna only has two exits, the front door where all the patrons come in, and then a service entrance that's not open to the public, in fact, it's really now it wasn't open to anyone at the time because it led to a construction site. Police said that it was hard to transverse that construction site during the day fully sober and imagined it would be near impos- impossible to do so in darkness after you had been drinking all night. But even the cameras pointed towards the back service door never show Brian. So since the cameras let the police down, the police then decided to search the Ugly Tuna Saluna with search dogs, who found nothing. And then they fanned out into the streets and searched every dumpster and other container for several blocks. Again, Brian's apartment was near the Ugly Tuna Saluna, so naturally they searched it. They went through his car, which was still there, and... Again, found nothing. Divers were brought in to search the nearby river. Again, nothing. In all of their efforts, police found no trace of Brian or where he might have gone. And just from the outside looking in, you would not think that anything had gone wrong in Brian's life. Nothing looked amiss. This became a very popular case, for lack of a better term, such that several organizations and philanthropists joined in to offer a 100000 reward for any information that would lead to learning of Brian's whereabouts, and posters of this reward were plastered all over Columbus. Alexis, meanwhile, continued to call Brian every day and posted regular updates on MySpace. The phone calls always went to voicemail, except one time in September when Brian's cell phone actually rang three times. Of course, police quickly jumped on this and searched uh, with the cell phone provider, the service provider, to see where the call could be traced to. And it pinged off of a tower only 14 miles away in Hillard, Ohio. However, when the cell phone company investigated it, they found it to be some sort of computer glitch that caused the phone to ring. 
police obviously spent a long time speaking to the three people who spent the night with Brian. Randy, his dad, Meredith, and Clint were all questioned extensively. All three were asked to take a polygraph test. Randy and Meredith both took the test and passed. Clint, however, refused to take the test. Okay, legal sidebar here. I know everyone wants to jump to the conclusion that Clint must know something he's not sharing because he didn't want to take the lie detector test. But lie detector tests are not as they seem. They're really dangerous in the wrong hands, in fact. First of all, you have to understand that this is not a tool that's supposed to identify a criminal. A lie detector is a tool of exclusion, meaning it should eliminate suspects, not identify them. It's rarely used that way. Secondly, the test is only as good as the operator, and it is open to interpretation. So naturally, I have a story to share about this. I one time represented a mother charged with child abuse. She was very passionate and adamant that she did not hurt her child, nor would she ever hurt her child. And I believed her. Um, so we went to the DA and proposed a deal because they, they refused to accept the idea that she didn't do it. And this was kind of a weird one, but we said, look, give our client a lie detector test. If she passes, y'all drop the charges. If she doesn't pass, y'all can use the results of the lie detector test during the trial. And we'll let y'all pick who administers the lie detector test. The DA quickly agreed, and under state law, we had to take that sort of agreement to the trial judge to sign off on. That way, there's no takesy-backsies. So between the time that we came up with this idea and the judge signed off on it, we, of course, took our client to take a lie detector test because we ain't stupid. We actually took her to have her lie detector test administered by a former FBI agent who trained all the local police in our area in how to operate and interpret polygraph tests. He gave her three tests and she passed all three. He said there was absolutely no signs of deception. So we felt pretty confident and let the DA pick their test operator. She showed up and took the test, and we all met afterwards. And the operator said, well, the tests are kind of inconclusive. We asked if he had written up an official report yet, and he said no. So we pulled out our file where we showed that she had taken three tests with the man who had trained this officer on how to do lie detector tests, and she had passed all three. The officer immediately began backtracking and said, well, I need to look at these results a little more closely. I, I, there, maybe there's something I missed. And of course, a few days later, he said that there was no deception indicated because he didn't want to go against the man who had trained him. For some reason, the DA was just super ticked off that we had done a trial run before agreeing to this, but she was kind of naive. Um, so, all that to say, I don't really have a problem with Clint not taking the test. If he had asked me what to do, I would have told him not to take the test. Uh, 
it's too big of a gamble. Um, if the police just need a suspect, then that's an opportunity to stick the blame on someone. There's no reason to risk putting that target on your back. So, okay, all right, let's go back to the ride here. The police's investigation revealed that Clint and Brian had a verbal altercation inside the ugly tuna saloon. Again, police put pressure on Clint to take a polygraph test. But he said, look, I've spoken with an attorney and my attorney has told me not to. Further, I've told you everything I know, so there's nothing for me to add. Ultimately, police could find no other evidence linking Clint to Brian's disappearance in any way. Randy, who, again, remember, has now lost his wife and his son in the course of a few months, becomes a little desperate and hires a psychic to help find Brian. The psychic tells Randy that Brian's body is in the water near a bridge pier. So Randy and his other son, Derek, along with some friends, begin searching the shore of the nearby river, which flows right next to the Ohio State campus. They even used waders to check to see if Brian's body was stuck under any of the bridge supports or something like that. But, again, no trace of Brian was ever found. Sadly, Randy died two years later. An online obituary and condolences book was created and posted and was signed... To Dad, Love Brian, parentheses, U.S. Virgin Islands. Again, police jump all over this, but computer forensic investigators determined that the posting was made from a public computer a few counties over uh, in a, from a library and was almost certainly a tasteless hoax. Since his disappearance, Brian's credit cards and bank accounts have never been used. There have been possible sightings of Brian in Michigan, Texas, and of all places, Sweden. As you expect, though, none of those have panned out. So let's talk about some theories that have been batted around. The first theory we have to consider is that Brian abandoned his life and started anew. His friend said he claimed his dream was to live at the beach and live as a musician. And that medical school was really his parents' dream for him. He even posted about living such a life on his MySpace account. In April of 2009, The Lantern, Ohio State school newspaper, reported that Clint's attorney received word from a detective on the case that their leading theory was Brian was still alive and living elsewhere, not a victim of foul play. Police acknowledge it would be possible for Brian to have exited the Ugly Tuna Saluna and avoid the security cameras, either through some sort of disguise or by ensuring his face was blocked from the cameras while exiting. Now, we have to point out there's actually no security footage which truly looks on to the door of the Ugly Tuna Saluna. The entrance film, as it's called, shows the top of an escalator that dumps into the front patio of the Ugly Tuna Saluna, but you cannot see the doors. 
So we cannot say with 100% certainty that when Brian left speaking to those two women, as we discussed earlier, that he re-entered the Ugly Tuna Saloon. By the same token, however, camera footage from around the surrounding area does not show Brian again either. So logic would suggest that he did enter the Saluna, but we have no direct evidence of that. Personally, this theory is kind of hard to buy because Brian left his car, his belongings, his credit cards, and his bank accounts behind. Not to mention his family and his soon-to-be fiancé. For, you know, without any of these tools being the money, the car, and whatnot, it would be a challenge to get from Ohio to a beach location. Further, all of Brian's friends and acquaintances reported that he was extremely excited to go on this trip with Alexis and had been generally happy in the days leading up to his disappearance. The second most popular theory that floats around out there in the wilds of the internet is that Brian was actually killed in the Ugly Tuna Saluna and hidden away until closing time, after which his body was transported to its final resting place. Now, this seems like quite the magic trick in a crowded bar, and it would require someone having access to the Ugly Tuna Saluna while it was closed. Certainly, it could be an employee. Maybe they offed Brian in a secluded part of the bar, took him and dumped him in a dumpster out back, and then dumped him ultimately wherever they felt was the best way, place to hide him. Now, I don't know the layout of the Ugly Tuna Saluna. It's very possible that there were blind spots in there from the public where the murder could be committed, but a crowded college bar on a Friday night that's, that strikes me as unlikely, again, even though I've never been there. There's also no evidence or any suggestion that the security cameras only run during certain hours. That makes me believe they run 24 hours. And if so, I imagine someone dragging out a six-foot-two man would catch the police officer's eyes when they looked at security footage. There's also a theory that Brian met his demise in the construction site. Again, at night, being drunk, it would be a challenge to navigate the rubble, potentially a deadly challenge. Again, as we mentioned, no security cameras of the back alley caught footage of him out there. Police dogs never caught a scent of him. Even if he, say, passed out and no one saw him and construction actually occurred on a Saturday and they buried him in concrete accidentally, even that theory doesn't really work because... Sadly, the Ugly Tuna Saluna closed in April of 2018. After it closed, the Ugly Tuna Saluna was raised and broken down to be replaced by another building. 
So it seems likely that Brian's remains, if that's what happened, would have been found during that renovation. A little off subject, but some good news. The Ugly Tuna Saluna reopened in 2019 in a new location. This time as Ugly Tuna Saluna 2, or as I would have called it, the Ugly Tuna Saluna Tua. But I'm a marketing genius and they didn't consult me. Now, many, many people think Clint knows more than what he's sharing. Whether it be that he knows where Brian took off to, or whether he had some hand in Brian's demise, we don't know. But lots of folks really want Clint to talk. Derek, Brian's little brother, claims that Clint became very withdrawn after Brian went missing and is confident Clint knows something. Now, Alexis disagrees and can't imagine Brian would have skipped town or that Clint would have ever done something to harm Brian. Alexis's father disagrees. He was close to the family and was very involved as a volunteer in the investigation. And he was quoted as saying, I think that basically all roads to making progress on this case on Brian Schaefer lead through Clint Florence. Again, though, no evidence pointing to Clint having any involvement in Brian's disappearance. As for me, I don't... I don't really have a theory that sits well with me. If you put a gun to my head and I had to make a guess, I'd go with the Brian Skip Town theory. Security footage from the mid-2000s isn't great. You can actually go on YouTube and see footage of Brian entering the Ugly Tuna Saluna, and you'll see what I mean. So I think it's possible to overlook someone when you're trying to account for all these students and other patrons coming and going from the bar. If Brian has a hoodie or even a ball cap and he manages to leave with another group of folks to part, I think it's possible for him to make it through the gauntlet of security cameras as the police, like any other humans, would key in on the easiest pieces to identify. Here, that would probably be the color of his shirt, his height, and his hair color. Further, since Brian was preparing to leave for a trip to Miami, I think it's possible and even reasonable to assume that he had an above-average amount of cash on him. So he may have been able to get further than most folks expect. Additionally, if he had purchased the engagement ring, Pawning that serves as another source of emergency income for him. Now, I looked it up, and this is going off of today's prices, so I assume things would be cheaper back in the mid-2000s. But if you want to take a Greyhound bus from Columbus, Ohio to, say, Atlanta or Nashville, it's only going to cost you about 50 bucks. And those maybe two locations are attractive to them, if he wanted to become a musician, as he said on his MySpace page multiple times. Now, if you wanted to get to the coast, getting down into the Gulf Coast or in Florida to become a beach bum would only cost around $100, again, in today's money. And really, getting into Mexico wouldn't be out of the question, 
And it would be much easier to hide your true identity in a foreign country. He's obviously a smart guy if he was doing the med school thing. So if this is what he wanted to do, he certainly could make it happen. And for much cheaper than what we think. So, but why would he want to bail in his life? I mean, he had lots of good reasons to hang around. He, his dad obviously meant a lot to him. He had a younger brother, a girlfriend slash future fiance, and a promising career ahead of him. But we don't really know how his mother's death affected him. But it's clear from the research I did, it had a significant impact on him. If he had secretly announced to his friends and family that he planned on marrying Alexis before his mother died, it's possible that now he determines that he is not emotionally prepared to take on the role of a spouse and begins to panic. Maybe he starts to feel stuck. Maybe he feels that there's no way to deviate from this plan without damaging his pride and causing lots of hurt feelings. Coupled with the fact that if his heart really wasn't in to becoming a doctor, you can put together a recipe where running away, while certainly not the logical or most compassionate thing to do, but you could see where that would make sense to a young man who's feeling pressure from all sides. Becoming a gringo guitarist in a resort area of Mexico might be the best move in his mind, and he could certainly make enough money to live off of, assuming he's fine living that lifestyle. And again, if you listen to what his friends say, and if you believe what he posted on his MySpace account, his dream was to be a beach bum who played music somewhere along the coast. Again, the theory doesn't sit exceptionally well with me, but that's one that I can put together that makes sense to me. Ultimately, Brian disappeared. No one knows where he is, and no evidence points to where he could be. Now, it's somewhat encouraging and even heartwarming that the police think he's alive. Obviously, that's rare to have happen in these sorts of cases, and so let's let's take this little rainbow and enjoy it. That's also what I've chosen to believe, but boy, do I feel bad for his brother and his ex-girlfriend, losing him in whatever way. And I think it's horribly sad that his dad died without ever getting a chance to see Brian again. But if that's what he wanted to do, all he can do is hope that he's living a happy and healthy life. And also, here's hoping that the Ugly Tuna Saluna makes lots of moolah and opens some locations in like Aruba and Bermuda. Hallelujah. Just so you know, I went through like four rhyming dictionaries and didn't leave my room for 82 hours writing that for you people. My wife is really ticked. Like a puma. Okay, all right, I'll stop now. Barracuda. Let's let's just move into the palate cleanser and let me save some face. So here's what my child has picked for this week. I think it's a little long, 
but I'm not the expert on these things. I bow to his genius. Why would Cinderella make a terrible soccer player? Well, there's three reasons. One, she's always running away from a ball. Two, she's always losing her shoes. And three, her coach is a pumpkin. I, you just have to take a moment to let that one wash over you, don't you? I mean, it really feels like the universe's love is just absorbing you and wrapping you in bacon and cheese and all sorts of other wonderful things when you hear a joke of that quality. Okay, folks, thanks for listening. I love your attention. It fuels my ego in such a horrible, narcissistic way. If you want to see the show continue and help it want to help it grow please leave us reviews give us some stars and share us with your friends it's the only way a small podcast like this can grow in today's highly commercialized and corporate world also please email me if you can think of any other words that rhyme with the ugly tuna saluna like bazooka okay all right i'm done for this week bye bye my butterflies Thank you for listening to Killing, Missing, Hidden. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and share. Questions? Email us at info at kmhpodcast.com.